Hello, I am Victoria Carey, Grazier's Editorial Director. One of my favourite things in the magazine is Maggie McKellar's column, and I'm delighted to tell you that it is now also our latest podcast. Welcome to The Farm Diaries, a new Grazier Her podcast sponsored by Blundstone. farm diaries. A quote scrawled on the top of my page says, some weather's coming, you can taste it on the side of your tongue, a quince tang in the air. It's from Annie Dillard's Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, a book I love. Autumn is here, the robins are back. My mother's name was Robin with an eye like the bird. She used to greet each day before the rest of the world stirred. She'd rise in the dark to seek renewal in the quiet. She's been dead 17 years now, and her absence has grown more familiar than the ache of her loss. In the time after she died, I missed her with a physical ache that I felt as a fatigue in my arms, as a tightness in my throat where the words were caught. I've got used to her not being here, I have ceased to want her, or is it that I have ceased to allow myself to want her? It helps that I don't need her in those terribly basic ways I did when my children were small, and chances are if she were alive, I would be adjusting to a new role of caring for her. I find myself tuned to women in their late seventies, seeking a clue as to what my mother might have looked like, who she might have become. When my aunt, her younger sister, comes to stay, she brings my mother's presence with her. Just a hint, like a lingering perfume, you can't quite trace to its source. On this autumn morning, sunlight licks at the trees, teases them into being, and soon it will reach the veranda, and trickle along the clematis vine to find the edge of my window before dripping onto my fingers and warming my hands. Seventeen years is a long time not to see someone, and so it's a shock when I look at my hands and see her hands, or when I recognise her in the pattern of skin starting to gather at my neck. In my body she is appearing again. I decide to embrace these signs of ageing, to accept the sag of skin beneath my chin, the lines on my face, as part of the cycle of life. And autumn, that season of change, when the leaves turn brilliant hues of red and gold, and when the sap sinks in the trees, when ants make patterns in the dirt, dragging seeds to stock their winter larders, seems to conjure up my mother. I've grown used to it now. In fact, I begin to look for her when the coats on my horses start to roughen and lengthen in preparation for the cold, and when the days draw in. Autumn on the farm is when we put the rams out. It's when the robins return from the high country to winter in our milder coastal climate. It's when the walnuts and apples are ripe and the quinces are fat. This year the grass is high, the 
creeks and waterholes are full and the ewes are strong. The evenings are full of the ringing echo of horns as the rams jostle for space in the hierarchy. This year couldn't be more different than our seasons of drought. And yet, when I read back over my diary, I see the turning year brings a comfort in the midst of so much we can't control. Drought Diary, Autumn 2018 Before the rams go out with the ewes, they come into the yard so they can be classed and drenched. Jay looks to see how the young rams have grown, what sort of style their wool is developing, and whether they have any injuries. The oldest rams are drafted off, and in a normal year, they would go back to their paddock to enjoy ram retirement, for Jay is a softy, can't bear to put the old boys on a truck. But not this year. We have no feed. They will be sold. Jay is nearly finished by the time I get over to the yards. The rams look good considering the season. He's been feeding them in preparation for their one job of the year, and the South Downs particularly are defiant with the bravado of the small. They have no horns, so it's hard to pull their heads up to drench them, and there is a brute strength to them. They are bone and muscle, brawn and balls, and they are not happy being in the cramped space of the race. Eventually the job is done, and we leave them to cool off and walk back to the house for lunch. It's hot, too hot for autumn. I wait for the end of the day to take the dogs for, the, for their walk. The country looks grey. If it were a person, you would say it was stricken with some wasting disease. Everything is shrinking. Cracks appear in the ground. Wind scours appear on the side of, the ba- of banks no longer covered in grass. The creek is dry. The holes that remain are stagnant and low. Skeletons shine. On my walks I'm seeing more signs of Tasmanian devils. They were gone from here when I arrived. A contagious cancer had broken out in the population and this ancient marsupial was on the precipice of extinction. It's nearly 20 years on from that moment and a huge effort by the scientific community and an army of volunteers seems to have saved the remnant population. A vaccine has been developed and several cancer-free populations have been successfully bred on islands off the coast of Tasmania. And perhaps it's nature too, for here they are creeping back. One day I walk past the carcass of an old broken-mouthed ewe. Two days later, all that is left of her body is a pile of wool and an ear tag. This drought could be the reason the devil population gets a foothold here again. It's hard to hold this duality, hard to accept that. In the same season, grazing animals will die of starvation and scavengers will grow sleek and fat. Walking, I crane my neck and watch a huge sea eagle circle. Its shadow rushes over me. A mob of yellow-tailed black cockatoos flare. A magpie stalks through the dry forest of wattle and prickly box trees. A troop of noisy miners hop from tree to tree until I reach the edge of their territory. The sun is playing with the bare landscape, making beauty out of despair. The stalks of a grazed rape crop have a golden glow, but their shadows are dark on the bare earth. It feels too desperate to be putting the rams out, too desperate to hope for the stirring of life, 
when there may be no grass to raise a lamb. I follow the sheep tracks onto the hardened stalks of rape and onto a grass pasture that was sown last year. It had a hard start and then a rain fell and, despite the odds, the pasture established. Now there is still a covering of dry grass and it's crisp under my feet. If only we had a rain it would spring to life. But for now it is, like most things, just holding on. Ahead of me, bursting up the creek bank like a creature from another world, runs a stag. The dogs must have nosed him out and sure enough, hot in his heels come the corgis in a useless twirl of yips. The stag is still carrying his antlers and he gallops with his head flung high. We've got a lot of feral deer and now their cover is shrinking and hunger is forcing them down onto the flats. I see them often. This stag is light. I can see his ribs. He should be in prime condition. But instead, just for a moment, it looks as if the corgis are gaining. And then he reaches the edge of the paddock and sails over the fence, disappearing into thick bush. I keep walking. The dogs will give up on being hunters and come and find me. In the distance I see Jay. He has the crate on the back of the ute and has loaded the rams and is delivering them to the different ewe mobs. He drives in the gate, opens the back of the crate, and the rams leap off. I watch them, their noses high in the air, catching the scent of the cycling ewes. They set off to make babies. But unless it rains next week, we probably won't get a high percentage of ewes in lamb. Although the ewes are in good condition from being hand-fed, they don't cycle well when there is no feed in front of them. I think... Their bodies are not so easily deceived. I turn for home and a scarlet robin appears in the gorse by the creek. He keeps pace with me as I dawdle up the track. If I stop, he stops. If I move, he flits ahead, landing on a twig of gorse, a strand of wire, a lone dried thistle. His breast is impossibly red, fierce and brilliant, as if he is drawing in the last light from the setting sun. Autumn is here. Thank you for listening to The Farm Diaries, a grazier podcast voiced by author and columnist Maggie McKellar and sponsored by Blundstone. An Australian icon since 1870, Blundstone remains 100% family owned and Tasmanian based. Blundstone boots have been a farmer's best friend for generations, durable, dependable and packed with all-day comfort. The elastic-sided series has proved to be an all-round favourite in the rural sphere and from that the 600 series was born. Based on their original iconic design, six styles were crafted for rural consumers. The pull-on kick-off convenience means that a hard day's work can be easily left at the front door. The 600 series is exclusive to the work, safety and rural channels in Australia and New Zealand, offering fresh takes on Blundstone's timeless styles. To view Blundstone 600 series, visit blundstone.com.au.